Welcome to No Instructions. I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. And you're sick. I'm a little nasally. N- nasally. A little bit. Where's my knife? I don't know. I don't know either. It's in there. You want my knife? Nah, it's okay. Here. I gotta send my sharp fingernail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you are sick because we uh, went to Maker Fair. Yeah, I, uh, I think I have a sinus infection. I mean, I'm kind of prone to those anyway. Mm. But a weekend of talking to everybody, probably not drinking enough water, surrounded by a whole bunch of people that are probably sick and gross themselves. I think every time we come back from California, I get a little bit of crud. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something I noticed this trip, and actually I noticed this in Europe as well, I am not used to seeing people walk around in public spaces with face masks on. Yeah, I think that's a big city thing. I know it's really typical in Asia because of, like, the air quality. Right. But, yeah, I mean, in rural... Middle America, that's not a typical thing. It was kind of interesting because I noticed that a few times at Maker Fair and at Maker Central, I had people come up and say hi and just talk to me and with a face mask on. And the thing is, I think it caught me off guard, not that they were wearing one, but they didn't acknowledge that they were wearing one. And so, like, somebody comes and starts talking to you and has a conversation, but you can't see their mouth move. Hmm. And it, like, it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. But it was just one of those, like, huh, like, do I acknowledge the fact that you have a mask on? Or is that, like, insulting them in some way? Or well, it like, could be people that um, are sick or have cancer that have, like, a suppressed immune system. Yeah, and that's kind of why I didn't want yeah, to bring it up. They want right? to enjoy the, the big fairs, too, <clears throat> which is good for them. I mean, still wanting to do the stuff that they would normally do and not letting that be a hindrance. Yeah. But I just noticed it more on this trip in multiple ways. In fact, there was an entire group of, like, I don't know, three or four girls, like teenage girls, walking around with these masks on. Maybe it's uh, a cool thing to do. Uh, yeah, maybe it's Own it. a new fashion trend. Anyway, we should have worn a face mask, and then you wouldn't be sick. Maybe that's what we should do next year. Let's make Mortal Kombat-style <laughs> anti-disgusting <laughs> yeah. germ masks. Yeah. And I'm like, what are they doing? You're like, oh, you don't have one? This is the cool thing this to do. This is what all the cool kids are doing. Uh, actually, you know, it probably would have helped. I mean, I am a little under the weather as well. Uh, Jenny is sick. You know, it's like when people go to Comic-Con and stuff, they always talk about the con crud coming mm. back with being sick. Because you just, like, you're around so many people in, yeah. like, a place with not enough airflow, and you shake hands with a million people who, mm-hmm. who knows where those people have been. And their hands in their butts. So, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's a thing. But, uh, yeah, I guess it applies to... Our type of con, as well as, you know, Comic-Cons. And stuff. The only thing that I did notice that I haven't really noticed before, What's that? which I don't know why, like, we shook a lot of hands, mm-hmm. as people do there, mm-hmm. but there are people that have just massive hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I remember Tiffany made the comment, like, she, she shook Jimmy Duress's hand, because we were sitting outside a restaurant, and he just kind of walked up, and, you know, they had met before, but it had been a while, and I remember she's like, he has really big hands. <laughs> <laughs> Not just like giant basketball player hands, just like yeah, he's got like workman's mitts. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, huh, and I thought about it, and it stuck in my head. And then every time I shook somebody's hand, I'm like, that's a normal hand. Is this a big one? No. Like, that's a normal hand. I'm like, man, look at this thing. And I was like <laughs> in my head secretly like ranking people's hands in some silly way. Like, wow. That's uh, <laughs> just like a big baseball glove. <laughs> it, there is a, a huge range of types of handshakes. With that many different people, you know, like some are real floppy and loose and like they, they're like being polite, but they don't really want to shake your hand. And then there's like the people that are super excited that about break your hand off because they just grab and squeeze and won't let go. Um, there's a pretty big range. Have you ever done a handshake over? Like just been so upset with the handshake that you got accidentally first time. You're like, nope, do no, it again. I've done hugs like that. Okay. Yeah. I've never done a handshake like that. Yep. I've, I've had to a couple times ago. I'm absolutely not satisfied with that handshake. <laughs> that did not go well. We can do better. We need to do over. <laughs> yeah. Well, what did you think about the fair? Uh, I liked Maker Fair. I always liked Maker Fair. Um, it was a little, it seemed different this year, and I can't quite figure out why. Uh, maybe it was – I think if I never read that article about the, the potential of Maker Fair not being around next year, yeah, um, it wouldn't have impacted me in this way. But it, like, it was kind of rainy. And so the outside stuff that is normally like the big draw of the Bay Area Maker Fair, there's huge like 
Burning Man type metal sculptures that breathe fire and walk around. And some of them were there, but uh, as many as they had last year, um, I think this year was a little lacking. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was people like knew it was going to rain, <clears throat> so they just you know go, well, I'm a giant metal robot, and so that's probably not the best idea. So it seemed like there was less stuff. Um, there noticeably was less stuff to buy or to walk away from, like than there was so? last year. I feel like yeah, because I I go there looking for something to take back with me, like a piece of inspiration or something I've never seen before. Like I I think I, we mentioned this last time. Like I prepare to be wowed, and then I take that moment and go back and have it impact me for whatever is to come. And I remember this year there being less opportunities for that. Hmm. They did happen. Yeah. But it wasn't as many, and maybe it's just because I went last year, and it's kind of the same. It's not the first time you'd been yeah. there. Yeah. Well, that's true. The novelty may have worn off. Yeah. I, I guess I always do buy something there. Like, I always get T-shirts from these two vendors. And actually, one of them I didn't get, make it back to, so I didn't get anything. But they have really cool T-shirts, and I always buy some from them. But this year, uh, well... No, I always get those, but I didn't really think about the fact that I walk away with something. So then uh, I don't think about the fair as a place to buy stuff. Um, Yeah, I wonder if, so anybody that doesn't know, that's listening, that doesn't know about this thing, there was an article that got sent around a whole bunch uh, a few days prior to Maker Fair about how it may not happen in the Bay Area next year because they don't have any big corporate sponsors anymore. It's hard for them to pay for it. It's a really expensive thing to do. Um, and I, I assume that's all true. Well, I'm positive it's all true. Uh, but I wonder if the the weird feeling this year was because of that article or it was because of the rain or it was both. You know, if maybe yeah. one caused the other. Well, didn't cause the rain. But, I mean, if the article made the rain seemed like a bigger deal than it was and maybe people just didn't show up. I don't know. It did to me because I had the feeling like, oh, if that's already in the air, low attendance would just substantiate that thought. Yeah. And low attendance not because of lack of interest but because of the weather. Like that just seems like a really unfortunate circumstance. Yeah. That it's really hard to judge engagement in the community when you have an outside factor like that. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's always going to be a factor for an event like that. Um, so a couple of years of bad weather, you know, knocking down attendance affects whether that thing conten- can continue on or not. I don't think, from what I understand, I don't think the attendance is the, or lack of attendance is the problem with the potential for keeping it going. I think it's the corporate sponsorship. Like I would imagine yeah. they could sell twice as many tickets and it still wouldn't probably cover the cost of uh, the fare. I mean, I think it's just so expensive that they have to have corporate stuff. And if they don't, I don't know. I hope it continues because I do think it's an important thing. I think it's really good for uh, that area out there. I think it's really good for the kids that get to go. Obviously, it's localized, so it's not, you know, doesn't affect kids everywhere. But uh, I think it's really important out there. So I hope it they figure out a way to make it continue to happen. And I think... For their their global enterprise, because the other maker fairs are locally operated and licensed from Make, I think by removing the Bay Area Maker Fair, you're kind of you'd be getting rid of that mothership. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that the World Maker Fair would go away. I don't I don't know how that would affect the New York version, but I think it would have second and third order effects that would be negative for the brand as a whole and for the community as a whole. Yeah, I agree. So I guess we'll we'll find out. I was kind of hoping, uh, this isn't realistic, but I was kind of hoping that with that article coming out, some big company would kind of step up in the days right before the fair and be like, we, Company X, are going to make sure Maker Fair happens next year. Mm. You know what I mean? To like, we support this to get through this year, but also set up the expectation that it will be supported at least one more time through something else just to kind of get some momentum behind it. But um, that didn't happen that I'm aware of. Anyway, it would be cool. Oh, by the way, what are you working on? I am working on... I'm about to do a bag dump. I ask you a question and then I'm going to cover it up. <laughs> Your answer with noise. I'm working up a, a small version oh, of... Oh, no. I just... 
Sorry. The, the Battle for Hoth Star Wars set because you bought a really big set. A big set. Is this part of the set? No, this is oh, the... Oh, this is... No, this is a different one. Oh. Uh, you got the Blockade Runner. I did. Oh, and the Blockade Runner came with a little tiny freebie set because the model that I purchased that we talked about last week is still in route from Japan. So I don't have anything to build right now. So that's what I'm When's doing. it going to show up? Do you know? Next week, maybe? Hmm. It has a, like, May 20-something through June something. So <laughs> Sometime this year. Yeah. I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. But I'm excited for it. This is a cool-looking R2 unit. Look at this guy. Oh, he's clear. We've got a clear dome with orange details and a gray and silver body. This is kind of my ideal color scheme right here. Mm. All my favorite colors. Gray and gray. <laughs> And silver. Speaking of R2, I went to the R2 Builders Club booth again, as I always do. And it was one of the highlights of my fair. Mm. Because oh. I have been, since I did the first video on R2 and I got it, you know, the whole thing to a certain point, we had a, we've had a bunch of other stuff to do, so I haven't really gotten back to it. But also... I've been using the other stuff we have to do as an excuse to not get back to it because I don't know what to do next. Mm. There's so much to do building an R2-D2 that I kind of am just stuck, and I was afraid about, like, well, what if I go too far? You know, like, what if I put the skins on and I paint the skins and then I attach the legs and then I get to a point where I realize, like, oh, I should have put this in before I put the skins on, and then I have to back up big steps, you know. Yeah. And... um so I saw this guy that I met, or I've talked to a couple of years in a row there at the booth, and um, I was voicing that to him. I was like, man, I just, I don't know what to do next. I don't, I'm afraid I'm going to do something in the wrong order, and I'm going to cause myself a bunch of pain later. And um, <clears throat> he just kind of said, like, you can't do it wrong. And I was like, well, I can. <laughs> he goes, no, I mean, anything you do, you can change, and you can fix. So... And my big thing was like, well, I was, was planning on building the whole thing so that it looks correct but has no electronics in it. And then coming back and doing the electronics. Is that a dumb way to do it? And he was like, no, that's what lots of people do. Like, you're totally hmm. fine. And even just that little, like, it's fine. Just go for it. You can, you know, I'm not, I'm pretty confident in myself. I'm pretty confident that I can figure out most things given enough time and trial and error. But for some reason on this one, and I think I figured it out, uh, I would I was just worried about doing it wrong. And I think the reason is that because I care so much about Star Wars as a thing within yeah. me. And I'm trying to do not just an astromech droid. I'm trying to do R2-D2. And if I do yep. something wrong, it's not R2-D2. You know what I mean? And that's so that's also been my my little bit of trepidation about you, which is ironic, continuing the R2 and the one that I 3D printed was the, the color scheme. Mm -hmm. And because, yeah, doing R2-D2, which is by far my favorite Star Wars character, to get that right, and because there's so many versions, and they're not versions, but like people have replicated that so much, and the R2 Builders Club, they hold all of the plans and the colors and the pieces, like all those things are so accurate, and the council has to approve them. Mm -hmm. I'm like, is the, I don't know what the right color is. Like, it's not just blue, it's a special blue. Yeah, and it's overwhelming. It, it is, and it become really daunting. And so that's why I went with just a complete, like, out of left field version of mine is, was partly a, a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. Like, I came up with that creatively. <laughs> no, it's so that I wouldn't feel bad if I got it wrong. Yeah. So I just avoided it. And you're not. You want to make it accurate, which is amazing. And I super commend you. And I'm just as excited about it as you are. I doubt that. <laughs> well, I didn't buy it, and I haven't put it together. <laughs> yeah. But when you're not around, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk to you. Oh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> but, yes, I, I can completely understand that mindset. Yeah. Because there's things that... Every time we build a project here, whether I am actually touching that project or not, I build it in my head. I go, like, if all this went away and I wanted to do that, how would I do it? And I think at this point in R2, like, I'm stuck too. Mm. I have all the same resources you do, but, like, the coloration and, 
Like, do you add servos and stuff right now, or yeah. do you add them after the fact? Right. Do you paint certain things, or do you powder coat certain things? And talking to the R2 Builders Club, you yes, you do both. I'm like, well, then the color's going to be different. If the color's going to be different, then I'm going to hate it, and it's going to be this thing. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. So I, I get that. But it, so it's good that you got that kind of encouragement. Motivation. Yeah, I mean, because I just took all that same stuff to him, and I was like, you know, I just, I'm just afraid to move ahead. And he was like, but you, you make stuff all the time. If something's wrong, you can take it apart and you can do it again. That's absolutely. And I was true. like, uh, oh yeah, there yeah, we have huh, that. What do you know? Superpower, don't we? <laughs> and I mean, it was honestly just kind of freeing to somebody to say, like he said, every <clears throat> single one ever is different. There are no two droids that are put together exactly the same top to bottom because everything can be done in multiple ways and end up looking the same. I was like, oh. Hmm. I was like, so, and I, I know that, like, you know, I've looked, I've been on the forums enough that I know that's the case because if you look for one thing, you find 50 ways to do it. But it's a little daunting to not know, like, which one's the best way. Like, what's the preferred way? What's the simplest, the least accident-prone way to do it, you know? So well, if you think about it, even within the movies, when they built R2 for A New Hope, and then he was in uh, Empire, they put them together differently. Yeah. Like the shoulder pieces are backwards. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, it's there's certain people that's like, oh, I'm making this one or I'm making that one. And it, I, I guess that's a very good point that they are all different. And even the, the quote unquote like master copies, the screen right. used ones. Are different. Are are like whoopsie daisy kind of kind of different. Yeah, and because the arms or the legs come off during transport, and they just put the arms on or the those shoulder pieces on backwards. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that allows you if the original creators can can have grace in that moment. <laughs> yeah. I think anybody building one in their garage should be afforded the same opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I don't think for a minute that somebody like if I com- have a completed R two unit of any oh somebody's vacuuming above us that's cool for podcasting. Um, <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to walk and be like, I can't believe you did that. You put the things on the thing with the thing. Nobody's going to do that. Gonna be like, you have R2-D2, right? That's cool. It's more for me. Like, I care about it. I've always, my entire many, many years, have wanted this thing. And so I want to do it right, you know. Um, but I think that's causing me to have a little more fear and, like, work slower. Which yeah, is, analysis paralysis. Yeah, yeah, I think so. More than I... Because I don't typically have that. I usually work faster than I should, and that's a lot of the problem why I screw stuff up. Anyway. But but it was really cool to go over there. Um, he brought me behind the little line and showed me some stuff on his, like how he did his doors. Um, so besides R2, was there anything else there at the fair that you got to see and you were excited about? Um, I mean, everybody's seen the self-solving Rubik's Cube, I think. that's. I didn't get to see it. I saw many oh, really? videos of it. I didn't know where it was. I don't but, know and there are enough people that captured it. Yeah. It was pretty incredible. <laughs> I mean, like I understand the mechanics of it, but just seeing it opened up and seeing how this guy fit six servos or I guess it was six and a microcontroller and a battery on the inside of a Rubik's Cube hmm. and it still moved. It just uh, it was wild. Um, that was probably like the most unexpected thing. For me, I think the rest of the fair is pretty typical. Like we see a lot of the same stuff every year, um, or you know, similar things. And honestly, I didn't. I got to walk around some, but I was kind of standing around the creator stage a lot, talking to people and watching you guys and other people on stage and stuff. And uh, we had some friends come in too, so I was trying to spend time with them because I don't see them very often. But um, yeah, I don't know. Nothing really stood out. What about you? Um, there was one thing that I got really excited about, and it was an artist, and we've kind of been talking about this. His name is Matt Gazer. He just had a booth with his futuristic kind of fantasy uh, amalgam kind of, of art. He had some stills. He had a book. He had a T-shirt and a little resin figure thing in this world that he created, or multiple worlds that he created. Uh, he said he did concept art for a lot of movies, hmm. and it was... It was really fascinating. Like I, I've been purposely trying to think about things more artistically or not look at things so analytically hmm. or look at the function of something and just kind of leave it like that. And so that was a really good introduction to like 
an artistic take on something that I thought was cool. Right. And so there were some like medieval stuff mixed with robots. And the, I mean, the paintings and everything he made were, were beautiful, but he had a book. And inside that book, there was a lot of cool stuff. And I just kept turning pages. I'm like, that's awesome. That's awesome. And he had this one resin figure. And I know on here, we keep talking about model kits. And I was like, do you have any like garage model kits? He's like, no. He's like, I made a puzzle one time. I was like, well, I do some 3D modeling. I was like, do you mind if I print some of these? And he's like, his face lit up. Hmm. He's like, that would be awesome. <laughs> and so that's what I started doing. Well, he had this like mono wheel racer thing in this giant world. And so right now in Fusion, I'm modeling it. I'm probably about 60% done. And it's an exercise for me to stretch my modeling skills because it's something I want to get better at. I have like I have an idea in my head, and most of them are kind of organic space helmety kind of things that are rounded and bulbous and not so angular and so i'm trying to work up to that and so this is a stretch for me and my skills hmm. to take someone else's artistic creation that doesn't exist in real life for me to go measure and to to plan and even i mean this thing has no real function I mean, right. it's it's a concept yeah so i can then take the the sketches because it, the book is a mixture of like finished paintings and just like hand sketches and so I'm taking one of the hand sketches and I'm doing my interpretation of what these pieces on the side of this thing could be. And so I'm trying to engineer something that only exists in fantasy, in 2D fantasy. Hmm. And it's really fun. It's, it's a really good exercise. It's something I've never done before. And I think that's the thing that I walked away most excited about, which is a lot different for me. Yeah. Yeah. You can see that. And that is... Uh, significantly different <clears throat> modeling wise to try to take a 2d image uh with no point of reference and like create it like i, I think i would have trouble with that the only time i've done something like that was with the helmet and i had a fr basically front and a side image so that's not the same right you know because yep. you can you can work on it in two different planes and eventually get to a 3d shape but well, and I like think... and even the images you're working on are probably not like they're perspective images, right? They're mm -hmm. from an angle. Yep. So it's not like you can trace an outline nope. or something. <laughs> and I think that's, I chose this one. Well, there were a couple of them. I mean, it's, it's a huge swing of, of areas. Like there's, like I said, the medieval stuff mixed with robots. A lot of them are kind of around these mechanical things and fantasy things kind of intertwining together in this really nice kind of worldscape. And um, the one I chose to do was this mono wheel racer thing, which, I mean, it can't stand up by itself because it's like it's mm -hmm. the proportions and the physics of the whole thing without it moving and having gyros and stuff like it's not going to work. But I, in my head, it's going to work. Yeah. And I can only see one side. And like you said, it's a perspective. And so I'm looking at them like I think that that thing could be a brake for the wheel or to be some type of caliper or rotor, mm. or this thing could be some type of exhaust system. And so. With all of the mechanical knowledge I have and the aviation knowledge, I can take this drawing and I can try to use what I have seen in the past and make a model and try to make it into a real thing while still like making it look like what this guy intended to look like. Right. Yeah. And there's no other side of it. So there's only the left side that you can see from the shot. Hmm. And so part of me is like, well, it, it would be easier just to take and just mirror everything. Because in my head, I love proportions. I love that, like, in an airplane, most, because it's aerodynamic, most things are, well, you know, symmetrical. There's an mm -hmm. engine on one side, and you don't want to do a barrel roll, so you got to put an engine on the other side. Yeah. I'm like, well, this doesn't have to obey those same laws. And I'm like, oh, boy. Right. Like, it's not symmetrical. Like, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you make something cool on that side. Like, that is the side that I can do whatever I want to. Yeah. I can take this guy's interpretation and his vision of half of a race car, and then I can put my interpretation on the other side. In, I mean, are you excited about that, or does that seem like uh, out of your comfort zone? A little bit of both. Yeah? Um, <clears throat> I'm excited about it because I'm like, ooh, it could do this, or ooh, it could go here. Right. And that is art to me, and that is foreign for me. Hmm. And so I, if my art has to be in a very mechanical <laughs> and somewhat geometric space, and if this is me dipping my toes into the world of, you know, things don't have to do a thing, it could be cool just because it's cool or pretty because it's pretty. It doesn't have to serve a purpose. 
Um, then well, so be it. So but I, I mean, there's a, there's kind of a middle ground there too, where you can dream up a purpose that is not a real purpose. Like you're you're basing some of that function and the mechanics on your history and real world mechanic stuff. But you know, like uh, I don't know, this is the maglev generator. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. give it a function that's not a real function, but that gives you the opportunity to like create some new stuff around something that somebody else already designed, which and is kind of cool. Yeah. Know? It really is, and that to me is kind of scary because um, it, you're being really vulnerable, right? Because if I reproduce something that I see in the real world, I'm just I'm copying it and I'm making my own version, like R2. So that 3D printed R2 that somebody else's model, I made it. It represents something that people already know and love, and then I can paint it differently. So that's a way for me to try to put this thing into my own artistic world while still being extremely shielded from the full like creating a backstory or letting people into this thing that's very private. Right. And this is a step further into that. But if I were to create my own space helmet or my own set of stories or characters or whatever that I could model and I could make my own model kit, like that's scary to me because I would have to explain what it was in this world that I created. But you don't have to. No, but I would kind of want to, hmm. because for me, it would have to make sense. And if it makes sense and make-believe, then that's kind of good enough. But, I mean, that's, you're letting people into a very private place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's vulnerability that I've never really faced before. And I, I thought it was really cool of this guy to, I mean, that's what he does for a living. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, why can't I do this? I'm like, you can do this. You just have to you know, quit being scared of making something up and being, you know, having a little element of fantasy and then putting it out there and if people like it then great if they don't like it then great i like it yeah and that's one thing that i've never really fully uh let go of is like i want to make something because i like it and i don't really care what other people think like we i think we would all like to believe that Mm -hmm. but it's not something i've typically done or ever really done yeah i mean that is like i've known a lot of artists in my life because i went to art school and there is a certain this is a really general statement, but there's a certain type of person that can fully dedicate themselves to creating art as their thing all the time. Um, a lot of the people I've known, and again, super blanket statement, are very uh, emotional and expressive mm-hmm. for you know relative to people who are not artists, and I think that's part of that. There's like a vulner- vulnerability. You have to be open to a point in that flows in, over into the rest of your life as to how open you are about your emotions and how things affect you. And But that's also what helps them be able to let stuff out and create art that other people can't create. So um, it's definitely a thing. You know, I think that's not like, and you didn't say this, but that's not just you feeling vulnerable. That's part of creating something from nothing and you know, putting it out into the world. There's a there's a feedback to that that some people don't want, <laughs> for sure. Well, it's exciting. Yeah. Because I think I think if people were really honest with themselves, like as a kid, that they could play, they could take up a, a, a G.I. Joe or some other toy and maybe play not G.I. Joe world or you know, mm-hmm. Ninja Turtles world. Like, it's just, it's raw and it's, you know, and it, I don't know, it's internal. Mm-hmm. And then as you get older, you develop a sense of, you know, that are other people are watching or other people may be judging or not think what you're doing is cool or you think it's ugly or think it's whatever. And you start to internalize other people's, um, other people's thoughts into your decisions. And I think like you're saying again, broad generalization, because I don't know a whole lot of artists, but it seems like a lot of artists don't care. Mm -hmm. And that's really liberating (laughs) to where as an engineer, I am very efficient and the things that I do like has a purpose. So if I'm, if I have a form factor, like everything within that form factor has to, to serve the ultimate goal to where art doesn't really have to serve a goal art for the sake of art may do that on its own, but the individual pieces, I, I don't have to save weight on something that needs to go into space or right. need to save money because you know, what, what's the purpose of this additional thing? Yeah. It's like, well, it, it's there because it's pretty <laughs> or it invokes some type of nostalgia or it's just what I thought was cool. Yeah. And in an engineering environment, like that's the first thing to get thrown out. Like you have to justify why. Yeah. Because there's it's fuel, it's weight, it's whatever. And so not being limited by those elements, 
it's like, oh boy, like it could, it could just do anything. Hmm. It could be lopsided and it doesn't have to stand up in real world. So like, well, that's cool. Like what else can it be? And so it's, <laughs> it's this door that I'm trying to open and it's foreign, but it's not uncomfortable. And hmm. so as, as much as I am exposed to other people's artistic interpretations of like physical items or mechanical items, it's a good foot in the door. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. That sounds interesting. I'm glad you're flexing that muscle. Yeah, I'm excited about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, what else about the fair? Anything? Oh, what'd you th- what'd you think about being on stage? I mean, I know you've been on stage before, uh, but like, how did that go? What was your your takeaway from all that? Uh, I've never. I, I don't really know why, or I can't. I can't point back to a single thing. But I've never really cared about being on stage. I know a lot of people get stage fright or they worry about, you know, preparing to a certain thing. And, like, if I have a time limit, then, yeah, you need to prepare. But, like, going on stage in front of a bunch of people has never been a thing that's bothered me. Hmm. And so I did three talks. We did the guys that work with guys that are on YouTube. had me. It had um, Forby, Anthony, Cameraman John, William Osmond's channel. The guy that hangs around with Peter Streeple, whose name I still don't remember. He told me like 10 times. Sean from the 3D Printing Nerd. And Cameron Dan, who works with David Picciuto. So it was a, a really good talk. And I think some people got a lot out of it. And I I ended up moderating that talk because the, the panel kind of grew. Mm-hmm. Some people backed out. And then I saw Cameraman John. I'm like, well, I think that he would be really cool on this panel. And so to make the whole thing just flow a lot better. And to not ask super random questions, I asked them questions that I wanted to know the answers to. Hmm. And so that's how I framed that whole thing. I think it went pretty well. <coughs> yeah, I, I think it went well as well. One thing that did catch me off guard, which, again, this, if, if people have a little bit of nervousness or trepidation or are reserved about being in front of a group of people, I could see where this may affect them. Um, but at a certain point, I was up talking in front of this group of people, and we had a rather large crowd because we were in between um, the the two people from the King of Random and Mark Rober. Mm-hmm. So we were on stage while there was a decent sized crowd, and still on stage while a massive crowd was growing. And so at one point, like I hopped down into the audience to kind of like pass the microphone around, and I'm talking, and I went to go hand the mic to this girl, and Conan O'Brien is standing in front of me. <laughs> And I just kind of like, I looked at him. I'm like, well, look at there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to give the microphone to this girl. And it was one of those moments like, oh, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Like I got to give a speech or whatever, like in front of Conan O'Brien. Like this is so, so random. Yeah. But it, it could be one of those triggers for people who are uncomfortable in that yeah, situation. Yeah, that could have made it worse. Yeah. Yeah, for, for sure. But I think we got our, our celebrity weirdness out. Because an Anthony and my wife and I, who we flew into LAX before we were transferred to San Francisco, and we were getting coffee. And like Pierce Brosnan walks up and gets coffee at the same coffee shop that we're sitting in at. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, it's James Bond. <laughs> and my wife proceeded to tell me about 50 times how handsome he still it's is. It's the least of the James Bonds. <laughs> he still is a handsome guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, um, it, was, it was really good. Uh, we did that one. We did the Making Geeks podcast later that day. Which was really good. Um, and then we had the four I Like to Make Stuff guys on Sunday before we had to leave for the airport. How did you think that one went? Um, <clears throat> I thought it went well. I mean, I felt like the time got moved around. So I think there weren't quite as many people there as there would have been if it had stayed. Uh, maybe. Maybe not. Uh, and I felt like I was, oh, I was doing my best not to talk the entire time and like take it over because I really wanted you guys to be the kind of or how we work together to be the thing you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, so I, I wasn't entirely confident that I wasn't over speaking but I, I think it went well I think there were some good questions and you know I was happy with it but what, what did you think about it yeah I think so too I think we talked about kind of how we make the video and I think at certain points it started to get very um, kind of deep into the weeds about you know software and stuff that we used. And that was also an issue, not an issue, but like that was something that <coughs> we did during the, um, the behind the scenes guys panel. But people were asking about yeah, it. Yeah, people asked. Yeah. And 
which I thought it was funny. We were talking about metadata and how I do the social media posts and things like that. And at a certain point, like, I was like, yeah, and every once in a while I got to go on Facebook. And I'm like, I don't like using Facebook, but I guess it's something that we have to kind of do. And my wife was in the audience and I could see her kind of giggle. And I'm like, yeah, I'm funny. I know. I'm mad said a funny thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, she showed me a picture later on, that, like one of the guys in the front row had on the back of his T-shirt. It was like Facebook intern manager 2019. <laughs> 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 she, just, she got a big kick out of that. And, that's pretty funny. If I had shame, I probably would have carried a little bit more, but I didn't. I mean, it's Facebook. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> he can tell my aunt all about it. One, yeah. But yeah, it was a good time. You know, it was. Um, we had some questions. <clears throat> excuse me, from people in our the the No Instructions Discord channel that were about Maker Fair specifically. And one of the questions, kind of going back to what we've already talked about, is from Clay Cooper. He says, if you were in charge, uh, what one thing would you change about Maker Faire and one thing that you would never change? Mm. Do anything, does anything jump out to you? Um, I think I would change the focus on... <clears throat> hmm. I don't have a better solution, so it's hard to say that I would change it. Mm. Um, but I think... The focus on presentation of your stuff and uh, presentation on stage, I think they're very muddled, which is good for getting people to run into things that they don't, they wouldn't typically see. But presenting on a stage that's surrounded by machines and people talking about projects and pe you know other stuff, uh, it's I think it's hard for everybody. And so having the presentation areas a little more separated, not distant, but just having some sort of, like anybody that wasn't there, the stage, the DIY creator stage was in the middle of the giant hall. And there was another stage that backed up to it. And there yeah, was a so curtain. They, they shared a, a backdrop. Yeah. And it was a curtain. I mean, it didn't stop anything. And so it was just hard to hear, hard to hear yourself when you're on stage. And then if you're out in the audience talking, it's hard to hear it, or like, you know, behind the audience, it's hard to hear as well because all of the sound coming off the stages. So I think something there would make both of those things a little more enjoyable. Um, one thing I wouldn't ever change. And I think that may have been a result of the rain because yeah. last year the DIY content creator stage was outside. <clears throat> yeah, I think that. And um, this year it wasn't. Everything was uh, consolidated to the the big area in the center, which when Forby and I went to go ask the lady and I was like, where's the, the content creator stage? She was like, the what? The, the thing that we're speaking on. There's like so many stages. This is one of them. She's like, we don't have that. She's like, there's that big stage to present and there's another big stage for workshops and that's it. What? There's like yeah. six or she eight She was stages. super wrong, but I'm like, oh, so we're on like the main stage. She was like, if you're presenting, you're on the big stage. And Forby went, hold on. What? <laughs> <laughs> Which was kind of funny. That is funny. I don't know. As far as like something I would never change, I don't know. I mean, I think the fact that there's so much stuff for kids to do hands-on, I think if that went away, it would be the death of the fair. Because when you bring a kid there of a certain age, there's a ton for them to go explore and touch and build and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and if that weren't there it would make it impossible to drag a kid around and look at 3D printers or listen to grown ups talk on stages with terrible audio so I, I think that stuff is absolutely necessary um, to keep kids coming and if kids come then parents come you know so yeah I agree the thing that I definitely wouldn't change would be uh, because of all the talk about like lack of corporate sponsorship, there's there's booths of all different types. I mean, there's vendors, there's corporate partners, there are like science fair winners, individual schools or maker spaces or things that are showing off what they're doing, and then there's stuff to like actually engage. And there's they had a sign this year of like hands on things like these are dedicated places where you can play and touch all the stuff that they have. Mm -hmm. And I think with the push. Or, or especially noting the lack of corporate sponsorship, they could charge more for some of those booths to make up some of that revenue or uh, a lot less of those spaces to make room for more corporate sponsors. 
to where it becomes more of a trade show than less of a kind of STEM fair. Hmm. And I think if that were to happen, I could see the on-paper necessity for maybe something like that. But I agree that that would be kind of the death of that fair. Like having people, science fair kids or makerspace people or universities that are doing or and middle schools, and elementary schools, people that are doing amazing things. Uh, if that went away, then I think the heart of Maker Fair would go and it would turn more into an expo or. A, yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting to some and to a point, but probably not enough to like keep people coming back and things like that. <clears throat> well, I hope they figure it out. I really hope they fix it because it is something that I enjoy doing every year. Um, How was the traveling out there? Because I know for you this was a, a marathon of plane tickets <laughs> and hotel rooms. Uh, I mean, it was fine. It you know We didn't have any trouble or anything. But I do feel like I probably went into that fair just at a pretty low energy level. So I hope I didn't come off that way to anybody that we met or anything. But, you know, I was I was feeling it. <laughs> by the time we get out there for sure and I'm super glad to be home partially because I'm I just like to be home and I'm tired of traveling but also because I feel like we can now get back to some normal schedule and like you know like it's good for productivity to die for a little while sometimes but then at least for me after a certain point I'm like the benefits of resting and not having stuff to do start to diminish pretty quickly. And then I'm like, okay, I need, now I'm behind. It's not that I'm mm. not ahead. Now I'm behind. So um, I was definitely beginning to feel that. <clears throat> and I don't like that. So, hey, the other thing. I never said what I'm making. Uh, I'm making the Y-Wing from, this came out with uh, Rogue One, I think. No. I don't remember when this one came out, but it's it's a Y-wing. But this is one of my favorite ships. So I'm having a brain fart as to how the the ATAT actually walked. I know it should walk like an animal would walk. I'd imagine. Yeah. I feel like they all bend. All right. Mine, yeah. Mine's gonna rear up like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's it's very upset. It's being attacked. That's pretty funny. Oh, no. oh, now he's dead. He dropped it. So you, if you don't watch the video for this, you totally miss out on really compelling things like this. But you can also like uh, see what we're working on if you're not watching the video. We have a YouTube channel specifically for no instructions. Um, and you can see us work. And sometimes we post pictures on Instagram, on the no instructions Instagram, of what we've been working on as well. There we go. And Anthony put up a new light, so the video looks way better than Let me it see if I can hold him used in place. to. We'll do diorama Ooh, shot. That's cool. It's like an elephant being attacked by two little mice <laughs> in a diorama. A really weird looking elephant. Yeah. All right. Do we have any other questions? Uh, yeah. Let me let me roll through them because that one was a good one. That was good one. Thanks, Clay. Mm. <clears throat> I need to call. Do you guys find that you are more recognized by people walking around or about the same each year? How is that for you? So this year, which is funny because I mean, you asked that question to me and then I asked that question to Anthony. Mm -hmm. So I, I had a little bit of his perspective, but for me, this year was a little different last year. Like I was, I was the cameraman. Like I, I was known by very few people in the community for, you know, the stuff I did for myself. And then when we went last year, I was known a little more because I was working here. And now that I've been on camera a little more, I'm like, we just came off of the secret room project that, you know, I was in the video quite a bit, like more people knew who I was. And that was a little strange. I would say last year, maybe two people stopped me by myself and knew who I was. And it kind of caught me off guard. I was a little weirded out. I'm like, well, how do you know my name? <laughs> to where this year... Back off. Uh, the first person who, like, called me out of a crowd was Ben Ueda. Hmm. And I was like, well, Ben is my name. I'm like, <laughs> and I've met Ben multiple times, and Ben is a really smart guy, and I think part of his success as just a very professional human being is, like, our people's ability to remember people's names. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really admirable quality. And part of me is like, well, maybe he's just really good at remembering random strangers. But then he started talking to me about stuff that was relevant. I'm like, oh, crap, he knows who I am. <laughs> and Bill Duran was another. Because Bill Duran from the Punished Props Academy, like, you know Bill. Yeah. And there are people that you have relationships with. And I may be known to them by proxy, but and then they would come up and just say hello by name and start having a conversation, like a real meaningful conversation. I'm like, wow, this is happening. Hmm. This is neat. This hasn't really happened to me. Hmm. Um, Anthony told me he had some of the same uh, situations from people that you know we geek out about on the internet, and so it's it's cool that people are acknowledging, and I think it's it's pretty easy to acknowledge that yeah, there is the four of us, and that's not to take away or diminish your notoriety, but it's for it seems like it's easier for people to make that connection to us individually. Rather than just like, oh, they hang out with Bob. I was talking to Peter Brown. And Peter Brown last year called me Bob's boy. Mm. And I was not a fan of that moniker. I wasn't a fan of that either. Yeah. This year, not I mean, <clears throat> not that I held some grudge. But like, I didn't walk over there to Peter Brown initially. Because I'm like, oh, he's going to call me Bob's boy again. And I'm going to get upset. And it was completely cordial. He's like, oh, hey, George, how's it going? And it's, we start up a conversation. And I'm like, oh, good. So that funny little like ha 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 kind of thing is now worn off right because it's an an established and i don't know yeah it was it was really neat i think getting a lot of the questions and feedback and all the different talks that we did was really validating and it was good cool yeah any any weird interactions that you can talk about without um there were a couple (laughs) strange interactions there's always strange Things. But I've never had a strange interaction. Oh, okay. But I'm not to get into too specific, but yeah. there was there were a couple times that people would like ask for a picture and then ask for something else and then like keep standing there and ask for something else. <laughs> and after the first talk, like when Mark Rober was coming up, like that area was packed. Mm-hmm. And I had a rain jacket on and I was feeling kind of hot and I was feeling kind of smothered and I'm like, I got to get out of this room really quick just to reset. And a bunch of people wanted to talk, which was really nice. Um, some people just kept asking me where you were. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> well, wh- I mean, do you know when he's going to be back? I'm like, man, I don't know. I haven't seen him literally all weekend. I have no idea where Bob is. Okay, well, can you can you take a picture and then can you tag me in it so that Bob can see it? <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't want to be in this room anymore. Like, I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be tactful, which yeah. is something I'm not known for. And say that again. <laughs> yeah, I, I politely as, as well as I could until I just like started talking to them while they were behind me as I'm walking away. I'm like, yeah. no. You're you're breaking up. I can't hear yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always a few uh interactions that are odd, but I I am <clears throat> really generally very happy with how people act at things like that, at the maker events at least, you know, they're it's usually pretty good. And cool. my wife was there, and she got to meet a lot of the people that she met last year, and she had really meaningful conversations with them then. And so it just got to have an extension of those conversations. So mm-hmm. if there was a time that I'm like, I'm feeling uncomfortable, or I just want to go meander, yeah, just like your wife, like she can take over a conversation and be, not take over like host, hostile-wise, but just she can move in, in and yeah. have the conversation that I don't really want to have or yeah. I'm uncomfortable having, and it's completely seamless for her. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's something else. I, I have to admit, uh, I showed, I got a little cocky last okay. episode with the TSA pre-check. <laughs> okay. I did, especially in regards <laughs> to my wife. Okay. When I said, no, she, or, oh, she shouldn't go through TSA pre-check with me. When we were leaving, we were leaving, Anthony, was it San Francisco? Had to been, yeah, we were leaving San Francisco. Anthony and I, because I got his the ticket, I, we booked at the same time. We got to go through pre-check. My wife had to go through the regular line. She made it through security way faster than we did in pre-check. I had to walk back and forth through the metal detector a couple times because I had my belt and I had my watch, which I didn't think I had to take off. Mm-hmm. And then I got my bag searched <laughs> because I had my, my phone slash uh, Apple Watch charger, kind of like the one you made, but it's just like a big hunk of wood that yeah. I turned and... They were like, it's organic material. I'm like, well, yeah, it's a chunk of wood. <laughs> and so she was sitting 
in the most non-smug posture that she possibly could off to the side waiting for me to be done with my pinky in the air TSA pre-check that saved no time and arguably cost me more time. That's funny. It doesn't it doesn't usually cost more time. It is usually pretty awesome. Yeah. But I think in San Francisco a lot of people have it. So it's kind of oh. like the don't be the last person in Central Florida without the easy pass and then everybody has the easy pass. Hmm. So I think it's the same deal. Gotcha. I, yeah, I never really thought about that, but I guess people in big cities probably do have it more cuz the getting through the security is probably a bigger issue on bigger airports, but and there were like six lanes open for everybody else and there was one lane for pre-check. Yeah. Hmm. Sorry, honey. (laughs) You heard it here. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're almost an hour in. Didn't really have a big topic, but I hope you guys enjoyed hearing about uh, Maker Faire. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Anything else? No. Cool. Where can people find you? On Instagram at the PI Workshop and on Twitter at Josh Makes Stuff. And you can find all of us at I Like to Make Stuff on all the stuff. Um, we've mentioned this before, but it's been a while. This show doesn't have a specific Patreon, but this is kind of part of the entire deal for I Like to Make Stuff. We had a big conversation today about things we want to do for the Patreon supporters. Mm-hmm. So if you are interested in supporting this show, uh, one, a message lets us know that you like it, which is really cool. We had a lot of people at Maker Fair. And Maker Central come up and say specifically that they enjoyed this show. Yes, that was so very heartwarming. Cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Especially the one where we talked about being sad. At least three people came up to me and mentioned that one specifically. Mm-hmm. That made my heart feel happy. Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of that too. That was really cool. If you want to support this show, uh, let us know that you like it. And also Patreon is a great way to support all the stuff that doesn't otherwise bring in any money. This this show is relatively expensive. <laughs> given the amount of Lego sets that I buy. But also, we pay somebody to edit, stuff like that. If you want to help out, go to patreon.com slash I like to make stuff. Or don't. That's cool, too. Anything else? No, man. Cool. See ya. Bye-bye.